0: Pretty much we are flying through the Gospel of Mark now, aren't we? As today, we will be looking specifically at verses 35 through 41, or where our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ calms a storm, which comes right on the heels, church, of one of the most significant teaching sections of Jesus Christ in the Gospel of Mark, a section that began all the way back at the beginning of chapter 4 with a parable about a sower... Whereas Jesus Christ shared, the seed that the sower sowed in this parable was, verse 14, the Word, aka the good news of the kingdom of God, and that it was only when the Word of God is sown into good soil, church, or into the hearts of those who are receptive to the Word of God, that the Word of God then can be heard and believed and received and cherished. Whereas on the flip side of that, when the Word of God is sown or shared with those with a hard heart, or with a shallow heart, or even with that of a divided heart, well, the Word of God then will most definitely not be accepted, church, and thus will not bear gospel fruit, to which Jesus Christ goes on to share in verses 21 and 22, another parable, this time about a lamp and a basket where Jesus Christ makes the point that just as no one in their right mind would ever bring bring a lamp into a room and put it under a basket or hide it under a bed, That so too then did God the Father not send his son Jesus Christ into this world just to conceal his true identity or to hide his eternal kingdom forever. But instead he sent his son Jesus Christ into this world to place him onto a stand and thus to eventually then let his true identity and his eternal reign be made known to all. And then finally, church, as we saw last week in verses 26 through 34, Jesus Christ again shared with his listeners another two parables, the first being about seed growing, whereas the kingdom of God is like that of seed that is scattered onto the ground. And that although the person who scattered the seed doesn't make the seed grow or even understand how the seed grows, that sure enough, somehow and some way, the seed, it still grows. Because God is ultimately the one church who is sovereign over the growth of the seed. Just like God is also sovereign church over the growth of his kingdom, the salvation of souls, the judgment of the wicked, and the ultimate consummation of his kingdom here on earth as well. And thus the kingdom of God, then, as Jesus Christ goes on to explain, is like that of a little mustard seed. And that although the kingdom of God started out here on earth, small and tiny and that of insignificant in the eyes of the world, that it too, just like the little mustard seed, will grow above and beyond even our wildest expectations all until it gets to the point, church, where people groups from every tongue, every tribe, and every nation will ultimately be part of it. However, the gospel author here, John Mark, he now gets back to his bread and butter here, if you will, by no longer focusing on the parables that Jesus Christ taught, but instead by focusing on on the life that Jesus Christ walked, specifically today about the time when Jesus Christ calmed a storm, which takes us to our thesis statement this morning, To the main theme of our sermon this morning, which is this, for Jesus Christ is the Son of God and thus is sovereign over all. Therefore, you do not need to fear any of the storms of life, Christian, that will come your way. For Jesus Christ is the Son of God and thus is sovereign over all. Therefore, you do not need to fear any of the storms of life, Christian, that will come your way. So at this time, church, let's open our Bibles up to Mark chapter 4, as again this morning we will be looking at verses 35 through 41. And if you are joining us today and do not have a Bible with you or own a Bible, please know that there are plenty of Bibles located in the chairs in front of you this morning, which you can feel free to use and even to keep if you do not own a Bible. However, the only thing we ask if you do take and keep one is that you read it, starting today by turning to page 839, and by joining us as we as a church family hear the Word of God together this morning. For again, church, we are wrapping up the fourth chapter of the Gospel of Mark this morning, and we'll be doing so by looking specifically at verses 35 through 41 where the author of this glorious gospel, John Mark, under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, writes, On that day, when evening had come, he said to them, Let us go across to the other side. And leaving the crowd, they took him with them in the boat, just as he was, and other boats were with him. And a great windstorm arose, and the waves were breaking into the boat so that the boat was already filling. And he was in the stern, asleep on a cushion. And they awoke him and said to him, Teacher, do you not care that we are perishing? And he awoke and rebuked the wind and said to the sea, Peace, be still. And the wind ceased, and there was a great calm And he said to them, why are you so afraid? Have you still no faith? And they were filled with great fear and said to one another, who then is this, that even the wind and the sea obey him? Let's pray. Heavenly Father, Lord, we thank you for your mercy, for your peace, for your grace, Lord, as we have sung throughout the morning, that even in the midst of these storms of life, we know that you are sovereign God, that you are with us, that you will strengthen us, that you are doing something peculiar in and through every storm that we face to grow us in the likeness of Jesus Christ. Let's let our faith be enhanced this morning trusting in the sovereignty of our God, knowing that Jesus Christ is the Son of God, and that whatever storms that may come about in our lives, Lord, that you, God, will be faithful to use them, every millisecond of them, every ounce of trial that we may face for the good of your people and for your eternal glory. Lord, I pray that you open the eyes of this wonderful congregation, open their ears, and soften their hearts this morning to receive your word. Father, I also pray that you help my lisping, stammering tongue. Lord, you know how stressful of a week this has been for the entire world and all the chaos that has gone around it. But Father, we thank you for the opportunity to sit under your word this morning to sing psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, to pray to you, a God who listens, who hears us, who is not going to turn his back to us. Father, enhance our view of you this morning, we pray. To you be the glory forever and ever. Amen. Our first of two points this morning, church, is this. Point number one, for Jesus Christ is sovereign over all Christian, Therefore, you have no need to fear any of the storms of life. For Jesus Christ is sovereign over all, Christian. Therefore, you have no need to fear any of the storms of life. Verses 35 through 39, which reads, On that day, when evening had come, he said to them, Let us go across to the other side. And leaving the crowd, they took him with them in a boat, just as he was and other boats were with him. And a great windstorm arose, and the waves were breaking into the boat, so that the boat was already filling. But he was in the stern, asleep on a cushion. And they woke him and said to him, Teacher, do you not care that we are perishing? And he awoke and rebuked the wind and said to the sea, Peace, be still. And the wind ceased, and there was great calm so just to make sure we are all on the same page contextually here, and in order to set this scene up properly for you all, Jesus Christ, as we saw early on in Mark chapter 4, verse 1, was teaching beside the sea. And because a large crowd gathered around him in order to hear him teach, Jesus Christ then got into a boat and began teaching from there, all while the crowd stayed on the land and beside the sea. And as we've seen over the past couple weeks, Church Jesus Christ was teaching the crowd on that day many things in parables. Those parables being the parable of the sower, the parable about the lamp, the parable about seed growing, and the parable of the mustard seed. However, after Jesus Christ was done teaching... As we see here in verse 35, when evening came on that same day, Jesus said to his disciples, let us go across the Sea of Galilee to the other side, to which Jesus Christ then leaves the crowd that he was teaching, and they, Jesus' disciples, take him with them, verse 36, just as he was likely meaning that after Jesus Christ was done teaching on that day, that he didn't then go back to the shore for anything, but instead just set sail in the very same boat that he was teaching in all day as soon as he was done. So Jesus Christ and his disciples here leave the shores of Capernaum and they set sail onto the Sea of Galilee, likely heading eastward, church, toward, as we will see next week in chapter 5, the country of of the Gerasenes. Nevertheless, as we then see in verse 37, a great windstorm church arose, so much so that waves then were breaking into the boat and that the boat was filling up with water. For as Ben Witherington explains, the Sea of Galilee church actually lies within a depression between various hills. Therefore, relatively speaking, since the Sea of Galilee is a smaller body of water, which is in essence located in a basin, severe storms and winds then can quickly arise and instantly change the entire character of this body of water, which is exactly what is taking place here. For Jesus and his disciples' church are, quite frankly, caught up in a storm here with hurricane-type winds and waves that are so big that they are literally breaking into and on top of the boat and thus filling it up with water. And yet, all while this violent and severe and turbulent windstorm is taking place and waves are just smashing into the boat and winds are just pounding against the boat and water now is beginning to fill the boat up our lord and savior jesus christ as we see in verse 38 is in the stern of the boat and asleep on a cushion likely down below the deck of the boat in some kind of protected quarters Nevertheless, church, there are numerous things here that I just love about this text. The first being, I just love the level of precision and accuracy and detail here in the text, that being that not only is Jesus Christ located in the stern of the boat here, and not only is Jesus Christ asleep in the stern of the boat here, but above and beyond all of that, church, we also read that Jesus Christ is asleep on a cushion, or a pillow, as the KJV puts it, in the stern of the boat here, which means then that this has to be an eyewitness account from the apostles Peter, that he shared with John Mark, obviously in great detail, about exactly what transpired on this wild and crazy night. Additionally, I also love here that in the midst of this crazy and chaotic and terrifying storm where wind and water and waves are just beating down on the boat at this time, that our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ has such confidence and trust and certainty in the faithfulness and in the goodness and in the loving kindness of his heavenly Father that he, unlike the disciples here, is not filled with anxiety, or fear or panic, but instead is simply resting peacefully at this time in the stern of the boat. And finally, church, I also love here this wonderful reminder from John Mark that he gives his readers in verse 38 concerning the humanity of Jesus Christ. And that just like every other man who has ever walked this earth, that Jesus Christ too did indeed need to find time to doze off, to rest, and to get some sleep after a long day of work since he is truly man. Nevertheless, church, Jesus' time of rest and sleep, it doesn't seem to last very long, And I say that because, as we go on to see in verse 38, Jesus' disciples then, they wake Jesus Christ up because of the storm and quite boldly say to him, Teacher, do you not care that we are perishing? Or as the NIV puts it, don't you care if we drown? Or as the CSB puts it, don't you care that we are going to die? To which Jesus Christ then, after being abruptly awoken from his slumber, and rather harshly questioned by his disciples about his care and his concern for them, Jesus Christ, then, he doesn't defensively here respond back to them, nor does he fall back asleep on them, nor does he reject them, dismiss them, or get ticked off by them and bitterly tell them to enjoy sleeping with the fishes that evening. But instead, Jesus Christ, as we see in verse 39, he simply rebukes the wind and says to the sea, peace, be still, and the wind church it ceased, and there was great calm. For as the late John Henry Byrne writes, there once was a great ship that was called up in a bad storm off the coast of Scotland, a storm that was so bad that chances of the ship and the crew's survival were next to none. So much so that the captain of the ship actually kicked off his sea boots in preparation of being forced to jump out of the ship and to do battle with the waves, once the ship would be thrown into the oncoming rocks. However, right before doing so, he thought of his wife in the neighboring town, and then of his daughter, and then right before the ship hit the oncoming rocks, the captain thought of him, who stilled the waves so long ago on the Sea of Galilee. Therefore, he went right into his cabin and cried out to God, O Lord, O Lord, give us just two points, just two points. To which the captain then came back out onto the deck, and sure enough, the wind had shifted just two points, which allowed him and the crew to maneuver around the rocks, weather the storm, and escape with their lives. Therefore, do you too believe that, Christian? For do you too really believe that this is God's world and that He alone holds the winds in His fist and the waters in the hollows of His hands? Because as we see quite clearly in our text today, church, Jesus Christ, when He Rebuked the hurricane type winds and said to the violent waves of the sea, Peace be still, like that church. Those winds they ceased, and those waves they became. Calm, Because Jesus Christ, church, the one who created all things on earth and in heaven, visible and invisible, is absolutely sovereign over the winds, over the waves, over the sea, and over everything, church, in his created order. And thus, how comforting, how reassuring, how encouraging, and peace-giving, church, is that eternal truth that our God, Jesus Christ, is sovereign over all. Because if you are sitting there this morning, brother Christian, sister Christian, and you are just really going through it right now, and that you are struggling to pay the bills, or fearful about the health of a loved one, or dealing with anxiety, concerned about your kids, frustrated about your job, angry about your car, or whatever else it may be, then lovingly let me remind you, Christian, that your God is still in control, that your God is still on his Throne, and that your God is still sovereign over all, in that he does whatever he pleases, Psalm 115, and that no purpose of his can be stopped, Job 42, and that his word never fails, Joshua 21, and that he works all things according to the counsel of his will, Ephesians chapter 1, since nothing is impossible with God, Luke chapter 1, for he can still the winds, calm the sea, and bring absolute peace to you as well. Christian, even in the midst of the storms. Therefore, although the storms of life come and the storms of life go, you have absolutely no need to fear them, Christian, since the God of all peace, who will never leave you or forsake you and who will be with you, Christian, until the end of the ages, even through the storms of life, that he is sovereign over all. And thus somehow and some way, Christian, can work all things together for good, Romans chapter 8. Which brings us to point number two. Christian, with confidence, you can know and believe and confess that Jesus Christ truly is the Son of God. Christian, with confidence, you can know and believe and confess that Jesus Christ truly is the Son of God. Verses 40 and 41, which reads, He said to them, Why are you so afraid? Have you still no faith? And they were filled with great fear and said to one another, Who then is this that even the wind and the sea obey him? So right after Jesus Christ made the wind cease and calm the storm. Jesus Christ, then, he turns his attention back to his disciples here, who, remember church, just questioned his overall care and concern for them. Nevertheless, Jesus Christ, he says to them in verse 40, For why are you so afraid? Have you still no faith? And this is why I just absolutely love the Gospel of Mark, because we get to see and read about and hear exactly how Jesus Christ, God in the flesh, responds to and interacts with and connects with people, even when they are most definitely not at their best. For as J.C. Ryle writes, for we see our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ dealing with his disciples here gently and tenderly. For he gives them no sharp rebuke, and he makes no threat of casting them off the boat because of their unbelief. But instead, just as a father has compassion on his children, so too does the Lord have compassion on those who fear him. Psalm 103. Now, if you really think about this situation here, church, I mean, how easy... And how fitting and how natural would it have been for Jesus Christ here to simply give up on his disciples and to turn from his disciples and to say to his disciples, you know, guys, at this time, you have seen me purge people of demons, heal people of sickness, cure people of paralysis, cleanse people of leprosy, and even forgive people of their sins. And yet, even with all of that evidence smacking you right in the face, you still at this time, verse 40, have no faith. Therefore, let's just go our separate ways and cut our losses because quite frankly, guys, I am done with you all. And yet that is most definitely not, church, how any of this goes down. But instead, Jesus Christ, dear, he has compassion for On those who fear him. Which as we go on to see church. Oh Jesus' disciples. They were filled. Verse 41. With great fear. After they saw Jesus Christ. Calm the storm. Fear as in they were left. In absolute reverent all church. Of this man named Jesus Christ. All while trying to figure out. Verse 41. Who exactly is this man named Jesus Christ. That even the winds and the sea obey him, which is quite honestly, church, the most important question that they, the disciples, and really each and every person who has ever walked this earth will need to answer, that question being, for who is Jesus Christ, since in that question, our eternal everything, church, literally hangs in the balance. Or as the late 19th century pastor William Alexander shared, there once was a well-educated man who all his life attacked Jesus Christ and his gospel with all his weapons of sophistication. However, toward the end of his life and being stripped of much of his intellect, the man then was often observed talking to himself and pacing fervently back and forth in his house where on one of the walls hung a picture of Jesus Christ. And he would repeatedly stop in front of the picture and say to it, Jesus, you were only a man. But then after a short pause, he would then ask the picture, Jesus, were you only a man? Only to then pace back and forth, talking to himself, before building up the courage again to ask the picture, Jesus, are you really from above? to which he would routinely then cry out, no, 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 for you were only a man. And these type of interactions would occur day in and day out until the man struck with paralysis eventually died, only then to no longer face a picture of Jesus Christ on the wall, but instead to face Jesus Christ as Lord of all, and to realize that Jesus Christ was not only a man, but that he was indeed truly from above, and truly was the Son of God. And thus, who exactly do you understand this morning, church, Jesus Christ to be? For is he just a moral exemplar, or just a good teacher or just a political reformer, a liberator, a revolutionary, or just some advancer of human virtue? Or do you understand Jesus Christ to be church, the resurrected son of God, and that he is the Holy One of God, the crucified Lamb of God, the resurrected son of God, the ascended King who sits at the right hand of God, and who will reign forever in the kingdom of God, and who is the giver of eternal life, to all of the children of God because that and nothing less than that church will do in terms of who Jesus Christ truly is. And there is no reason now or forevermore, especially on this side of history, Christian, and on this side of the cross at Calvary to be confused about who Jesus Christ truly is because not only can we clearly see in the infallible and in the inerrant word of God that Jesus Christ healed the sick, gave sight to the blind, cleansed the leper, calmed the storm, walked on water, and restored a man with a withered hand. But even more than that, we also know that Jesus Christ rose from the dead as our crucified and risen Savior. Therefore, do not let yourself become confused or bewildered or even that of embarrassed, church, about who you know Jesus Christ to be. But instead, know and confess and believe with all of your heart exactly what John Mark makes abundantly clear in chapter 1, verse 1 of this very gospel that Jesus is the Christ church and the Son of the living God. And thus, as we begin to close this morning, I want to begin with the non Christian who was here first. And non Christian, not surprisingly, the only question that I have to ask you this morning is. For who do you believe right here, right now, Jesus Christ to be? Because even if you leave here today, non Christian, believing that Jesus Christ is merely some moral exemplar or some gifted teacher or some humble leader or some social reformer or what have you, that is kind. And as nice and as warm and fuzzy as those words might be about Jesus Christ, if that is all you believe Jesus Christ to be, then those words will still lead you to the gates of hell. And I say that because the only way to escape the gates of hell, non-Christian, and to be saved from your sins and to become part of the kingdom of God forever is to believe that Jesus Christ is truly God and truly man, and that he came into this world, non-Christian, to save sinners from their sins, and that he did that, non-Christian, by initially living for them a life here on earth that they could never live that being a life that was perfect and righteous and holy and good, whereby Jesus Christ then fulfilled the law of God in its entirety, perfectly, completely, and without sin for the children of God. However, not only did Jesus Christ come into this world to fulfill the law of God for the children of God, but Jesus Christ also came into this world to pay the price for their sins as well. And that he, Jesus Christ, also willingly, then non-Christian, took our sins upon himself and died a sinner's death in our place and as our very substitute, even though he himself never sinned. However, non-Christian, even though Jesus Christ was indeed crushed, and crucified, and killed on a cross at Calvary for the children of God, that by no means meant that Jesus Christ would remain dead forever. And I say that because being that Jesus Christ was sinless, and being that he was accepted by God the Father as a perfect sacrifice on behalf of his children, sin and death, and non-Christian, quite frankly, they did not have the power or the authority to keep the sinless son of God dead. Therefore, three days later, Jesus Christ, he rose from the dead, displaying to the world that he had defeated sin and destroyed eternal death once and for all, and that he now offers eternal life to all who place their trust in him. And thus, non-Christian, let today be the day that you repent of your sins. Let today be the day that you confess your sins, that you turn from your sins, and you cling to Jesus Christ, the Son of God, who died for your sins on a cross at Calvary, so that you can have eternal life in his most holy name. Therefore, let today be the day, non-Christian, that you see Jesus Christ as your Savior, as your Messiah, and as your Lord, and that you repent of your sins and place your faith in Jesus Christ as the only one non-Christian who can forgive you of your sins and give you the gift of eternal life. and to the Christian who was here this morning. Brother Christian, sister Christian, already this morning we considered the fact that our God is sovereign over all. And thus in light of that, I want to close this morning by considering a rather critical detail in our text today. That detail being, as Daniel Aiken writes, That it was ultimately Jesus Christ who led his disciples right into the eye of the storm. And that this was most certainly not by accident. That it was ultimately Jesus Christ who led his disciples right into the eye of the storm. And that this was most definitely not by accident. And thus if we are to deduce anything from that critical point this morning church it should be that. We cannot believe the lie that is out there today that if you become a Christian and put your faith in Jesus Christ and become one of his disciples, that God then all of a sudden is going to make all of your trials and all of your pains and all of your hardships then just instantly go away. And that everything then in your life, Christian, will just naturally then become easy and picturesque and smooth sailing all the way until you reach glory. Because Scripture clearly tells us as Christians to not be surprised when the fiery trials or when the storms of life come as though something strange or unheard of was happening to us, 1 Peter chapter 4, since it is through many tribulations, Christian, that we enter the kingdom of God, Acts chapter 14, which naturally leads to the question, then why? Why? For why does Jesus Christ lead his disciples into the storms? Or why does God allow suffering to strike his children? Or why does God ordain seasons of hardship for his elect? And the answer to all of those questions, church, isn't because God now abhors his children or because God now has turned his back on his children, or because God now is not powerful enough to protect each and every one of his children, but instead God in his mercy decrees and ordains and brings about and allows certain trials and certain storms and certain seasons of suffering to use as a tool, Christian, in order to grow you in the likeness of his Son, Jesus Christ, and he can do that for you, Christian, because again, God, he is sovereign. Therefore, brother Christian, sister Christian, my charge to you this morning quite simply is this. Do not let the storms of life knock you off course and steer you away from God or keep you from trusting in God or drive you away from reading the word of God and praying to God and clinging to the faithfulness of God. But instead, faithfully endure the storms of life, knowing that God will use each and every one of your storms to increase your faith, Christian, or to grow you in godliness, Christian, or to refine your character, Christian, or to mature you in wisdom, Christian, or to strip you of any idols, Christian, keep you from falling in love with the world, Christian, or to display the surpassing worth of Jesus Christ in your life, Christian, to everyone around you. Therefore, do not grow angry or frustrated or jaded toward God when trials do come near, Christian, but instead know that God is sovereign and that he will use every part of that trial to refine you, to sanctify you, and to ultimately grow you in Christ's likeness. And thus, because of that, remain steadfast and faithful, Christian, to your sovereign God, even during the storms of life, knowing that only those who endure the test will receive the crown of life, which our sovereign God has promised, Christian, only to those who love him. And thus it is my prayer that we as a church body continue to look to the one who is sovereign over all of the storms that we may face. For how often, Father, do we fear tribulation and distress and persecution and famine and nakedness and danger and sword more than we fear you when the reality is in all these things we are more than conquerors through Jesus Christ who loved us. Therefore, Father, help us to change our mindset when the storms of love Come our way, and to not be fearful of the storms, but to instead remain faithful during them, knowing that it is you, God, who has sovereignly brought about each and every storm in this life that we will face, and that you will use them to grow our understanding of you, to increase our reverence of you, and to deepen our faith, our trust, and our love for you. Therefore, as your children, Father, teach us to fear no storm just as true gold fears no fire knowing that if we faithfully endure the test that in the end we will receive the crown of life. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, your ways are higher than our ways. Your thoughts are above our thoughts. But we know that you are God and we know that you are good You are sovereign over all. You have the authority and the power to still the storm. And Father, as we see in the text, you also loved us so much that you sent your Son, Jesus Christ, into the world in the likeness of man, completely in human flesh, as truly man to the point that your Son, who created all things and who sustains all things after a long day of work, had to take a nap. Father, we can't fathom the love that you have for us. But we know that you are good, that you love us, and that you are sovereign. Thus, when the storms of life come, let us not flee from you, but let us go to you, to rest in you, to trust you, to rely on you, knowing that you are using whatever storms that may come our way to refine us, to sanctify us, and to grow us in the likeness of your Son. We should count it all joy when we meet trials of various kinds. For we know that the testing of our faith, it produces steadfastness. Let us be steadfast to know that we have the gift of grace, faith in Jesus Christ, and to endure faithfully amidst all the trials of this world. To you, Father, be the glory forever. Amen.